Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless as he talks to successful real estate professionals and asks them to share their best advice ever. From deal syndicators to wholesalers, flippers, property managers, pest inspectors, and everyone in between. It's the best ever advice and none of the fluff. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit doordevil.com and enter best ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Farrell, and I'm here with today's guest, Jeremy Roll. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. A little bit about Jeremy's background before he gets into it in more detail. He is a full-time uh, investor who's focused on passive cash flow. And he actually used to have a job in the corporate world, and he since left that in 2007. So what is that about? Seven years ago. Um, now he is the president of Roll Investment Group. He is an investor in 50 by zero different opportunities uh, worth over $350 million in real estate and business. So with that being said, Jeremy, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more background on how you got to this point and what you're focused on now? Yeah, sounds good, Joe. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Um, so basically, I was, like probably many listeners, just uh, sitting in the corporate world doing my job. And what happened with me is back in uh, 2002, I got sick and tired of the volatility in the stock market um, due to the uh, dot-com crash, which is actually similar to the volatility we've been experiencing the past few days in the stock market. And I looked for better ways to invest and essentially came across real estate first and then just the idea of cash flow in general. And I started to research cash flow, started to dabble and try, you know, small amounts into real estate opportunities, most of which were commercial real estate. And I uh, basically got hooked on cash flow, rotated all my money out of stocks and bonds into cash flow. And really what, what hooked me with cash flow was that uh, the predictability of the cash flow. I think what was bothering me with the stock market was just the unpredictability and the volatility. And what I found was that cash flow on the low risk side, for sure, um, really presented me with a more stable, predictable situation going forward. So between 2002 and 2007, I rotated all my money out of stocks and bonds into uh, passive cash flow, most of which was in, is and was in real estate, commercial real estate. Uh, but I'm involved in many other different types of investments, including ATM machines, cash flowing websites. I've done a number of different loans, including hard money loans in real estate, loans to businesses that are collateralized by assets. But everything I do is two common threads. One is that it's pretty low risk, and it's also managed by somebody else, so it's passive. Um, and uh, in mid-2007, I was working for Toyota headquarters at the time, and I had one of those last raw moments in the corporate world, um, and I decided to take a risk, leave the corporate world um, off the cash flow. And uh, at the time, I had enough cash flow to live off of, and also I liked having my paycheck at the same time, but decided to take that risk. And I left the corporate world, uh, co-founded something called For Investors by Investors, or FIBI, which is a uh, become now a pretty large uh, networking group for real estate investors in Southern California and a couple of other states. We now have over, actually over 12,000 members and growing. And um, I've just been networking and investing full-time since mid-2007. 
Um, and uh, just in the way of more of my traditional background, I'm originally from Montreal. Um, I have an MBA from the Wharton School, which is basically the University of Pennsylvania out in Philadelphia. And I've, I've worked, you know, very traditional marketing roles at uh, Disney headquarters, Toyota headquarters, General Motors headquarters, and some others. So just more traditional corporate background. Now I'm just a full-time passive cash flow investor, which I love. Um, one more note is that I'm actually an advisor and investment committee member for a crowdfunding uh, real estate platform called Realty Mogul, which I'm guessing some of the listeners might be familiar with. So I actually help to advise them on some of the opportunities they're looking to put up on their platform and give my feedback as to whether they're, you know, they make sense to move forward with or not. Um, uh, so hopefully that, uh, that's a comprehensive background for you. But when you look at all the different types of investments from, as you mentioned, commercial to ATMs to, which I find interesting, cash flow website, you have to have a favorite. What's your favorite and why? So my favorite uh, investment to date that I've done is actually the ATM machines. Um, and the two reasons are, A, I get monthly pay, uh, cash flow checks from it. B, it's very transparent. Um, the challenge with ATMs is that it's very hard to find a good and reliable operator, and there's a lot of sketchy operators. And actually, there was just a Ponzi scheme that was finally broken up in Southern California here about a month ago where they raised five to $700 million over the course of 15 years, just to give you an idea. So, Yikes. Yeah, there's a lot of, of sketchiness. You have to be very careful, and I wouldn't necessarily call that truly low risk compared to, let's say, commercial real estate, but um, I've, I've averaged a true about 38% return since 2008, and now it's 2014, so that's per year. You know, But if you ask me my, my favorite investment in terms of just stability and really on the low-risk side, it's, it's got to be commercial real estate that's on a very diversified tenant base like a two, 300-unit um, apartment building and that's maybe 99% occupied in a great location or just any, any type of commercial real estate that's really diversified because the goal for me is to go to sleep tonight, wake up tomorrow morning, and not much has changed because I'm relying on that cash flow to live off of. So anything that falls in that bucket where I can really rely on the future cash flow, that, that's really what I love. What do you look for in an operator whenever you're presented an opportunity for passive investment? Yeah, it, it's a tricky equation that's hard to describe because what I've learned over the years is that what's much more important about the opportunity is who you're making the bet on as opposed to what you're investing in. And so I like to tell people that you can invest in the best building that's 100% occupied on Fifth Avenue in New York, but if you're investing in a manager who then runs it to the ground or mismanages the money or does something else, then that property is going to go back to the bank and you're going to have nothing. So it didn't matter that it was the best building in New York. Um, and so who you're making the bet on is imperative in the type of investing that I do where I basically trade control for diversification where I hand control to somebody else to manage the opportunity who's presumably very experienced. And so with that in mind, what I really try to do is get a sense of who the person is, and I look for operators who tend to under-promise and over-deliver. And what I mean by that is that they're looking to build longer-term relationships with investors, and they're trying to basically be very conservative in their projections because they want to try to perform well for investors. And so you have to kind of read between the lines in many different scenarios, including reading the projections and just even what you're hearing from them and when you talk to them. And I, I always meet them in person for a gut check. The gut check is one of the most important things. But just adding all these intangible pieces up together, including a background check, which is one of the most important things people can do that often is overlooked, adding all this together and determining who is the person I'm making a bet on and do I want to make a bet on that specific person, that to me is more important than the opportunity. I think a lot of people tend to get lost by in looking at the opportunity and liking the opportunity but not assessing the operator well enough.
that makes a lot of sense. And if you watch an episode of Shark Tank, you'll see that's why they invest in certain individuals or certain companies, and that's why they don't invest in certain companies. They just have a good feeling about the person presenting. When you said you mentioned the background check, what specifically do you check and how do you do that? Yeah, so um, I use a service called TLO, like Tom Larry um, Operator, com, which is actually owned by TransUnion, which is a large company. There's another service I'm aware of called Accurant, which is A-C-C-U-R-I-N-T.com, which is owned by LexisNexis. It's a very similar service. It's more expensive. And essentially, these are the types of services that the private investigators will use um, to do background checks on people. And so when you run them, you basically run their criminal history, their property ownership, company ownership, any bankruptcy liens, judgments that, that are found on them. And they actually go into an incredible amount of detail about the history of the person, who they're affiliated with. I, I, it, the list goes on and on, honestly. A lot of the times I run a check on somebody, and it's 50 to 100 pages. Um, and so, um, so to me, that's a very good starting point. And then from there, if everything looks good, then it's a question of really assessing the individual yourself and reading between the lines and looking at how they're presenting the opportunity to you, um, whether they're trying to pitch you or whether they, you really think they're in it for the right reasons. So there, it's not just about the background check, but that's a very important step. Okay, here we go, Jeremy. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, I, I mentioned it before already, but I'd say for passive investors like me, um, people tend to focus on the opportunity, but it's really important to, to focus on the people, the person, and the opportunity, meaning the, the manager and the opportunity. Um, and I would also say an interesting little plus of piece of advice is that when you're passive, you can decrease your risk in certain ways by making bets on wealthier people. I, I don't really hear people talking about that very often, but you know, when, when you're in an opportunity and something goes wrong, if somebody is managing it and they're very wealthy, they can typically afford to provide a, a short-term loan to the opportunity to help it bridge along, or they might be able to resolve more financial-related challenges more easily because of their wherewithal and their, their actual personal wealth. So that's another little um, tip that I would give to people that I actually have found very useful over the years. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. Best ever book you've read? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, plus Cash Flow Quadrant, both written by Robert Kiyosaki, and I would recommend you read them in that order. Best ever personal growth experience and what you've learned from it? Um, best ever personal growth experience is essentially I was in a, a uh, invested in a 308 unit apartment building, first property across from the State University campus, 99% occupied, fantastic situation, experienced operator in, in student housing. Um, long story short is that we had one of the 1% risks go wrong in the opportunity because there's many different 1% risks, which was essentially um, the opportunity was located across the bridge from campus. And uh, spring comes up, we get notified that they're going to close the bridge in the summer for repairs because it was that type of climate where they had to do the, the, uh, the construction in the, the summer period. Well, we went from 99% occupied to 65% occupied, even though we had the best location, because students were looking at the situation saying, when I come back this fall, how do I know the bridge is going to be open? Honestly, that wouldn't have been a problem because we would have been about break-even or a little better had it not been for the fact that our loan was due that fall. And for those who know commercial real estate, loans are oh, due no. in five, seven, or ten-year period. So it was horrible luck. And what was worse is that the bank would not extend the loan because they saw the ability to take the property back because the property was so valuable. So um, we actually ended up getting foreclosed on a fantastic property that would have otherwise had no problems. And that's always that 1% risk. But the lesson here 
was that the, the person who was managing the opportunity, who was wealthy, and also just felt horrible because we just bought the property a couple of years ago um, and assumed the loan that was coming due, basically um, decided at, without any legal requirement whatsoever to transfer everybody's um, investment into another property that they own, first property across another state university campus they own in another state. It took about a year of transition. And so not only did they take a loss on the personal recourse on the loan themselves, which was, you know, they always have to take on the loss that for that themselves. Uh, the limited partners don't take on that risk. But they also transfer everyone's equity out of their own equity into another opportunity. So they must have lost a million or $2 million on this transaction. But because I made a bet on that type of person who just felt like he had to do the right thing and he had the financial ability to do so, um, I just basically lost one year's cash flow in that opportunity and just keep going on. And so, and I'm still in that opportunity today. So the lesson there, two lessons there was, A, the 1% risks we always talk about, they can happen even though they're pretty low risk. And B, it's all about who you're making the bet on, which is why I was stressing that earlier. Best ever success habit you practice? Um, best ever, I would say I block time at the end of the day to pre prepare for the next day, including I time delay emails for 9 a.m. the next morning and I actually write them between 4 and 6 p.m. the day before. Um, but it also goes hand in hand with just having a good tracking and follow-up and to-do system in general. But being blocking out my 4 to 6 p.m. time for no calls and getting everything time delayed and, and already going to be sending out the next day puts me in a fantastic position and a kind of getting ahead of the curve for the next morning. You time delay the emails so that the ones that you write go out the next morning? Yeah, and I time delayed them for two reasons, actually. One is because I personally believe that there's going to be a higher probability of success that someone's going to read the email if they get it at 9 a.m. the next morning or 9.30. Then if they look at it, let's say if I send it at 5.30 p.m., it might get lost in the shuffle and they may lose it the next day. Um, the other thing, though, which I think is equally as important, is that if somebody responds to my email, they read it at 9 or 9.30, they respond to it that morning. I'll already be in a position where I have the time to respond to it that morning because I don't actually schedule any calls till about 11.30 for the same reason the next day. So I'm extremely scheduled, and because of that, I'm also extremely efficient. So there, yeah, there's, there's a couple purposes in me time delaying the email. Best ever deal you've done? Um, long term, I'd say the ATM machines I mentioned, I've been av averaging roughly 38% per year since 2008. It's been fantastic. Short term deal, um, we um, bought a in 2005, bought a um, two-story medical office building in Calgary, Canada. I'm from Montreal, so I invest in the U.S. and Canada, but I live in Los Angeles right now. We bought a building in 2005 for $5.5 million. We're planning on actually doing some renovations, uh, elevator, et cetera. I don't remember the exact amount we were going to invest in it. It wasn't a major renovation, but still. But by the time we were able to start the renovations, we hadn't even gotten there yet. We had sold the building in 2006 for $12 million, um, and that was just a question of buying it at the right time in the cycle. So that's the best short-term deal I've ever done. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, just, it just a, that was just a question of luck. Best ever quote. Uh, for me, I, I like to tell people, this is my own quote, that the key to being a full-time cash flow investor is low overhead. Um, a couple others that I really like, though, is money grows on the tree of patience. When you're a full-time passive cash flow investor, it's all about the long-term, very long-term, like 10, 20 years down the road. So patience definitely pays off. Um, Robert Kiyosaki also has a great quote, which is, um, a wealthy person is simply someone who has learned how to make money when they're not working. And I have the fortune now of having a strategy where my money is making money for me because of the efforts of other people that I'm making a bet on every day, even as we're speaking. 
As far as the low overhead for the key to being a cash flow investor, is that in reference to your low overhead or is that in reference to the operator's low overhead? I'm sorry, that, that is in reference to the investor. So what I mean by the key to being a full-time passive cash flow investor is low overhead is that all, once you become a full-time passive cash flow investor, what you're trying to accomplish is getting more cash flow than your cost of living. And so the key to being a long-term passive cash flow investor is having a low overhead so that the cash flow you generate, you have less pressure to generate more cash flow by having a low overhead yourself. Makes a lot of sense. Jeremy, what's the best ever place to reach you? Uh, my email is definitely the best ever place to reach me, which is uh, jroll, J-R-O-L-L, at Roll Investments, which is R-O-L-L, investments with an S, dot com. And they can expect to receive an email around 9 a.m. if you respond, correct? <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah, and actually, I even I even switch it up for the time zone, so that's probably true. Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention to the best ever listeners? Yeah, just in closing, uh, let me just say that becoming a full-time passive cash flow investor takes many years. It took me five and a half years to to get to that position. Um, it's a you have to be the very slow and steady build. It, it takes a lot of patience, but it is really worth it. Um, in a sense, I become almost like an infomercial where I just get a bunch of checks and payments every month or quarter that I'm able to live off of. And um, it's a fantastic place to be, but I, I can tell everybody out there that it takes a lot of patience and a lot of focus, but it's really worth it. If anybody needs any help or has any questions or, you know, I, I can definitely help people. I've been in, and if someone's out there is listening and wants to be a full-time passive cash flow investor down the line, I'm happy to have a call with them to help them just to, if they want to hear how I did it. Um, any way I can help, just feel free to email me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, you, best ever listener, do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe.